Hello and welcome to Decades of Design. I'm Jordan Rich and I'm with Rosanna Ansaldi, designer, pattern maker, leather specialist, business owner, and entrepreneur. I invite you to join me in my studio as I weave through each decade of my career, sharing the stories and all the unique details that have made it mine. I hope you find it as interesting and informative as it has been for me. Welcome back. As promised, we're in the new millennium. This is Jordan Rich, along with Rosanna Ansaldi and Antonio Ennis. Pretty interesting story that we're going to continue here. Yeah, it's the new millennium, uh, no Y2K disasters, and everything was going great with the business. We were still doing our own trade shows for new retail accounts, and it was continuing with the custom on Newbury Street, and we were maintaining the mail orders from the source. So, okay, you have this uh, connection then. You've got a manufacturer, and things are going along. Now, in the year 2000, some things start to change around you guys in terms of who you're working with. In fact, it says in my notes that, uh, you know, you're really starting to move with an established brand, but then you depart from the connection to Source Magazine. Yes. Want to talk about that? What happened there? So that that uh, separation came um, on the heels of a big fight that my group had. Um, we had changed the name from Almighty RSO to Made Men, and we, we were on a tour at that time. And the last show of the tour was at the Fleet Center, which is the TD Garden now. Right. And we got into a big melee at that show. Um, I got stabbed in the back three times that night. Oh, my goodness. And um, it Ooh. was a really big, big, big uh, fight. So that night... When that happened, and uh, my daughter, what did my oldest daughter at the time, um, it affected her really, really, really bad. She was really traumatized because she thought I was going to die. She was being told by the police officers in that moment, I'm on a stretcher table, she was being told that I was going to die. So that made me, seeing the look on her face and what it was doing to her in that moment, made me say, I'm done with the group. Mm. And when I got out the hospital the next day, I'm in a wheelchair. And I called the guys and I said, I'm done. Um, and that me being done kind of hurt a lot of guys because I was responsible for writing a lot of songs. I was, I'm not going to say I was the image, but I was responsible for our look. Um, and that rubbed one of the members who's Benzino, who was the co-owner of the Source magazine at the time. Mm. You had Dave Mason, you had him, but we were in a group together. And I told you that was the one who kind of gave me the idea how to start the brand. Right. So he felt if I'm not going to be in the group, they're not going to support us with the ads in the magazine anymore. And that's what that that caused the separation. And it was either stay in the group and keep the ads or be a man and leave the group and protect my daughter's feelings. And so I went with that route. I left the group knowing that, okay, so... I'll start, I'll open a store. Hmm. I'll, I'll do this without the magazine. We've built a brand. I, I felt like we built enough following at that time, and I can. And we had ready-to-wear stuff. I was able to get a loan from local um, community development um, organizations, and, and that, was my, that was my fallback plan. I'm going to leave the group and start a, a What What did store. you think? You, you, when he just told that story about getting stabbed, I mean, I went, wow. And you're his friend and his colleague and his partner in this. What, what were your thoughts back then? No, I remember it because it was on the news. It was a big story at the mm-hmm. time. And um, I was, you know, scared, just like his daughter, but glad that he made it through. And uh, 
It didn't matter if we had the source at that point. I mean, it would have been nice to, to continue on, but we had established the brand and his decision to, to you know, like he just talked about, I, I was with him. So we just went on. We we just went on. From so there. where was the store? I know we're here in Boston right now, but where exactly was it? It was actually 501B Washington Street and in the Cobman Square section okay. of Dorchester, right. Right, right across from Dorchester Court. And was it successful right off, right at the bat? Yes, right very. Bat. It was yeah. the very first day Jammin' 94.5 came to host because, again, we had a really big – we had a really big name. We were buzzing. Antonio Saudis was always buzzing. We did a lot of fashion shows, major fashion shows. And so um, when I opened the store that first day, the line was around the corner. And I that first year, I got Small Business of the Year Award for, you know, the street that it was on. It's a strip. So there's supermarkets, there's bodegas, there's banks, there's laundromats, yeah. there's KFCs, there's barbershops, there's post offices. Mm-hmm. So that strip, we're on that strip. And we came into that with a new store selling only our brand, and we made history in terms of money that was brought in. So they gave us an award. I think that first year we did close to half a million um, just the first time. The first and the, the award, I think it was at a Spike Lee event that you got the award yeah. in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. So your life, your life, Antonio, is changing as we're speaking here in the early part of the new millennium yeah. for the better because you're now out of that life which was could be and was violent and then you didn't even – I'm going to guess no regrets on making that move. No, nah, I think it, it, as a man, you get to a point in life where you have to make decisions. And to this day, I have six daughters and at the time I had two and the second one was months old. Um, and no, I, I mm. have no regrets. I think that was what we needed to do at the time. I, I felt even though we did have a lot of uh, success with the Source magazine, there were things that came with it that I didn't uh, too much appreciate, you know. And I, and I, yeah. a lot of a lot of it for me was really looking out for Rosanna at, in those times because I, I I felt like I came to her, and by me coming to her with my proposal. I also brought along, if you will, my dirty laundry of some of the guys that I was rolling with. And so I just always wanted to make sure whatever I did didn't affect her. But I never felt I had to worry because I knew him. I got to know him. And to this day, like I say, I can call him for anything and he's there for me. It's a great story of friendship and trust and from two different worlds. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you're in the streets. You're dealing with rap and music and and helping gangs diffuse the hate, which is not an easy thing to do. And this young lady has been through a lot and uh, has this amazing background as as a, an Italian American with pride, and mm-hmm. and she's got this um, incredible ability to craft leather mm-hmm. and other things. It's yes. just a great story. Um, but the, we managed at, at that point, and yeah. uh, just because we weren't with the source, we still had. Things that came to us because we were in the source, and that's when we right. started doing the movies. And, and well, let's get into that because that's a really fun topic. Everyone's eyes go <laughs> wide when you talk about film and Hollywood. Um, Shaft was a big one, I know. Exit Wounds. How did that happen? Who comes to you, or do you pitch the movie industry? How does that happen? Well, we had one of my friends, Marvette Neal, who's a really good friend of mine. 
he early on he seen what what uh what we had and what we were doing and he always would come to me and say you know E which is my my nickname yo E let me um let me be a part of what you're doing let me help you market he would he went to school for marketing so he's really good with that and Marv would really go through these magazines and just you know reach out to celebrities for us barter deals to get them to wear our stuff and and things like that and this that. That uh, shaft connection just came from, you know, from being in the source and from them knowing that we can manufacture things. They were looking for our raid vest was which are it's a, took a bulletproof vest and made it fashionable. That was mm. the very first Antonio saw the item. And we dressed the villains in that movie. Yeah. Did yeah. Sam Jackson wear any of your stuff? He did. He wore he wore a jacket. There's another company that did the uh, uh, leather trench. I think Armani did his that trench coat that he yeah. wore. Yeah. But he wore um, – there was another jacket that he wore in it in the movie. Right. And that was ours. There's another film listed here, Exit Wounds, 2001. Was that Steven Seagal? No, yeah. No. Oh, Exit yeah, Wounds yeah. was Steven, Steven Seagal. That's what I thought. DMX, yeah. And DMX, yeah. I remember that team up. That was a pretty – first it was – he was one of the first rappers to do a film like that, to sort of jump in. Well, Ice-T had done it and all yeah. that. But uh, so that's pretty cool. And yeah. you did you get credit? Uh, I think we talked about this. No, one. we we didn't uh, get credit at the time because if we wanted to get credit, we couldn't get paid, and we decided we wanted I would to always get paid. But so they the blurred. Pay. They did blur out the <laughs> logos in that yeah. movie. If you watch um, Shaft and you see the vests, the logos are actually blurred out. But um, those are our vests. Yeah, for they, sure. they people know who they because there's a lot at the end where the. The finale where they have a uh, shootout, you can see a lot of them. And you got the check, so the canceled check. check. So (laughs) I would want to get the check as well. You know you did it. Everybody around us knows you did it. That's what It worked because also we, for the ads in the magazine, they didn't blur it out. Right. People knew who it was. All right. So at this time, the hip-hop industry is jumping, and a lot of people are doing what you started, what you kicked off, right? They're starting to follow the leader, if you will, Antonio. Yeah, there were only, when we came out, there was Cross Colors, Carl Kanai, mm-hmm. and Antonio Saudi. That was it. FUBU and Sean John and Maurice Malone and a lot of other urban brands came after that. Carl Kanai came from Cross Colors. He started his, he went solo. And Carl Kanai, I met him one day and he really kind of like took me around in L.A. and showed me how to develop the brand and things that I need to do to have longevity. Um, but yeah, it was just us. And then when FUBU came along, because our we were making stuff with leather that nobody else could imagine. Like I said, we started out with that leather raid vest. Kanye... From Kanye West to Maurice Malone to Davucci, the list goes on. Everybody has knocked off that idea. Um, And so then we started making leather football shirts, leather basketball shirts, leather baseball shirts, leather hockey shirts, using perforated leather as mesh, but leather. And so these things were unheard of. Nobody was making that. And FUBU seen that and took our football shirt and they knocked it off because they were able to get it mass produced. We mm-hmm. were still doing custom at that time. So, yeah. Uh, here's a question um, for you, Rosanna, or Antonio, but I'll start with you. The price point for articles of clothing at that point, because we're talking leather and everybody knows leather is not inexpensive. 
Um, were you pricing it so that uh, younger people, uh, fans of the music, could afford it, or was it like the sneaker movement? You know, the running shoe that <laughs> people pay anything to get a Michael Jordan. Well, we had both. So the manufactured piece or the ready-to-wear pieces were affordable, and we Mm -hmm. did that so that people could afford them, um, you know, that weren't celebrities or couldn't afford to have them custom-made for themselves. So we had a little bit of both. And a lot of the ads we we had been doing at that time uh, at the end of the source relationship were focused on everyday people as opposed to the celebrity ads that we had started with. So... We had really honed in on that new demographic that had drawn uh, that we had drawn from the ready-to-wear items uh, that we were producing, and we actually shot a lot of those ads right on the streets of the inner city, using the people who lived in the community. So people knew we had items that were available and affordable, and if they wanted something custom, we had that too. So there was something for everybody. Interesting. Let's talk about 2001, September. This is where you come in too, Antonio. You guys are flying out to L.A. on around the same time as you know what happened. The, the world came to an end. Yeah. So, Pick up the story if you would. So through the company we were working with in Taiwan that was doing our production, they had wanted to uh, purchase our company um, because, like Antonio said, everybody was doing that uh, hip-hop wear at the time. So – they liked our brand, and they were um, interested in, in purchasing us. And so um, we set up a meeting, and um, we flew out uh, to L.A. in September. And um, I'll let you take it on. Yeah, we there was um, we were supposed to be on one of those flights that crashed into the tower. Left Logan in the morning on September 11th. Uh, at, I had a friend who was also supposed to be on the flight to L.A., and the last minute his boss said, no, I'll take this business trip. I mean, there were so many stories like that. Mm-hmm. So that is just – the whole thing was jarring, but it's personally jarring when you hear about that. Yeah, there was a – you know, with that deal, there was – it was a – you could look at it several ways. I mean, they, they could have – we were looking for more um, in that deal. Uh, we were really, really, really hot at the time, and they wanted to buy, but they – you know, the numbers weren't right. And there was just a little hesitance on our part in terms of signing that contract. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I think who knows what would have happened if we was on that plane, but we we didn't go that day. We flew we flew from Boston on the, the 9th and came home on the 10th. Mm-hmm. So you, you, were, it. Oh. you were very close to uh, ground zero in a sense for those people. And that has to stay with you for the rest of your life as it does all of us. But the deal didn't happen. Do you think it was because of 9-11 that everything sort of fell apart? I think that was part of it because we did work on the numbers a little and we were probably going to reach an agreement. But um, I think when that happened, everything changed for everybody. You regroup? Is that what happened? We regrouped. We had some talented people working for us. We had um, uh, a girl named Hoi Chi who was mm-hmm. an. She started out as an intern with us from the School of Fashion Design, and she was very talented. And mm-hmm. uh, another guy named Eddie, who we were helping to get his visa to stay in the country. But after nine eleven, they both left and went back to their home countries. And so we we regrouped and uh, we we fell back on our custom. And Antonio still had the retail store. Um, you know, we moved on, and then we got another movie in 2002. Ah, tell us about that one. That was Talk, right? Yeah. 2000 Talk. Ice with, Cube. Um, with, um, I think Michael Henderson and, and Ice Cube. Um, that was a biker movie. And so that kind of came off of 
the success that we had with Shaft, and I think we did save the last dance before that. Um, but people still were people still were uh, checking for our, our brand. Like I can tell you, we were very very unique. Very hot. Did you guys go to the premiere or was? Um, I went to the Shaft premiere. It was in Boston. I remember going to that. I don't think I went. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't think I went. And that was the only one I remember going to. Yeah, but not the one in Hollywood. They, not the one they, in Hollywood. They had one in Boston. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. <laughs> so um, you now have uh, the store, and you still have your loyal customers. Do the customers stay with you? Yes, yeah. because yeah. they like the brand and they like the work. I have a loyal customer who who has been with us since 1996. Wow. He lives in Wisconsin. Hey, Seti, and uh, he still gets stuff done. Yeah. He still yeah. calls is he a musician on me. or is he no, just no. a fan of the just a fan of us yeah and he always supported us from the beginning and still keeps in touch yeah now it says here uh, you kept it going for a few more years as it was and then you started to scale back and you know things happen life changes and the economies change so tell us about that Antonio what happened um the customers still followed us um, I still sell uh, stuff to this day um it was just really uh, slowing down a little bit, watching how everybody is coming up with a clothing brand and figuring, you know, how do you fit in? How do you stay relevant? How do we continue to not only cater to our existing fans, but gather some new fans, some new customer base along the way? Um, and that's always a hard thing to do. But I think we've done that. And that's why we're still able to make clothes to this day. So you put your stamp on design back then, and yeah. there are still loyal fans who love it. There's Absolutely. still loyal fans, and, and like I said, around it was around 2005, 2006, we dissolved the corporation because we had formed the Antonio Ansaldi mm -hmm. Corporation. So we dissolved that, but we were st we still work on projects together all the time. We still do stuff together. That is, first of all, it's very rare for people to be in business and to stay friends, <laughs> to be loyal to each other. It is. Right. I mean, I, I, we all know that. So you, you, you feel blessed. I know that you guys have this relationship. Yeah. No, nah, that's that was something that from the beginning, from the gate, it was always. Uh, I'm a natural born protector, um, and women in my family, I've always protected since a, a kid, and um, I always. As the years went on and, and me and Rosanna became close as friends, I always looked at her like a sister. Um, she's like an older sister to me. And, you know, her mom and her dad and her, her sisters and her nieces, like I know the family, and they've all embraced me and showed me love. And so that, that always meant a lot to me. Mm -hmm. And it was always, I always wanted to make sure I protected her and, and, and nothing you know, nothing happened. I, my friends would always say, oh, you know, what's up with you and Rosanna? And thinking that we would be intimately involved and stuff like that. And I said I would never want to be that way with Rosanna because I value her friendship more than anything. You're, that's what matters to me. That's what defines a gentleman, by the way. Yeah, my and my book. mom my mom loved him. She He used to come and visit my mom all the time, even when she was older and failing and she used to look forward to his visits. Well, it, just to reiterate something we've talked about in the past, your own personal struggles and you know, losing, losing somebody in your life who was very special at a very inopportune time. Mm -hmm. uh, to have a friend and, and then somebody you're working with who has that outlook, you know, protecting you and thinking of you as you're thinking of him, is, you can't 
measure that. Yeah, and I'm glad people are hearing this because over the years we were in business together, uh, people would look at us and we'd go into meetings and their eyeballs would go back and forth. And yeah, we come from different backgrounds and we live different lifestyles. And I'm sure they were wondering, you know, what's, what's this all about? But from the beginning, we've always worked harmoniously. And what Antonio did in his personal life was his business. And what I did in my personal life was mine. And we never brought that into our work. And just like he said, he was always protective. Um, he never voiced it, but I always knew he was shielding me from whatever was going on. And we built a common trust and a mutual respect that exists to this day. So, Antonio, do you still take the pencil out and draw designs on a regular basis? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's my passion. Like, like her passion is sewing. Like, you don't know when that passion is ever going to leave you. Like, I don't, you know, it's just I don't know what age I'll get to when I don't want to draw or write. I love writing. Can we do something that's uh, imaginative and just have you describe what you're wearing and what you have around your neck and so forth? <laughs> I know it's it's audio, but I think you can paint a picture. So, I mean, this this logo, this is our logo. And if you notice it, uh, it has a small A and a big A. For Antonio and Saldi. So, correct. The and two of you. Right. Before right. it was this, it was a, a made men emblem which was part of the group. Mm -hmm. And because I left the group, I melted it down and I made this. I love that. That's and, very effective. Nice <laughs> nice work. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I love our logo. It's very, you know, I think it stands out. You also have it on your hat. Very yeah, nice. Logo Thank you. on the clothes. This is one of my new hoodie sweatsuits uh, with, with all over print on it. Do a lot yeah. of sublim sublimation work now. This chain right here is, um, this is the almighty RSO chain. This was custom made back in the 80s. Now that looks like a family crest to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, this this was, uh, you know, this was our logo. This was, the shield was always our thing. And I love back, it. Back then we were always into making our own jewelry instead of going into the jewelry store and buying what was on the shelf. We, we made our own. Mm. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the hats. This, we do socks now. Um, do underwears, boxers, bras. I just wish I were that cool for like a half a minute. <laughs> just, just, a, just a little bit of coolness. He's very in my creative. <laughs> He's very creative. Well, you guys have been great to share, and I know uh, we collectively, but you, Rosanna, were so excited about having a sit down with this gentleman. Yes. To yes. share it because there's a lot to the story that we didn't cover when you weren't here, and this is great yeah. that you're here. Yeah, there's, there's, like I said, people always want to interview me, but. I think her involvement is just as important as mine's, and I, I love this because you get to hear both sides of the story, and that's the best way to get a story. Well, this story in, in this series uh, has a lot of points of interest, and I think the relationship is the one that I love. The, the two of you guys coming from different worlds and coming together is just great. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having us. Well, that was really fun. Antonio is an amazing guy, isn't he? Yes, he is, and great to work with all, over all these years. So the first decade of the millennium is moving along and things are happening, of course. Give us an update. So like Antonio said, the, the hip-hop industry was pretty much saturated with brands at that point. So that business started to slow down, so we had dissolved that corporation, and um, I still continued to do my custom work on Newberry Street. So you went back to teaching at least one day a week? I did. I, um, I went back to teaching. Um, Bay State College was the uh, school that I went to. They, they had reached out to me to see if I would be interested in teaching, and I, and I took them up on that opportunity, and I worked there one day a week, and I still continued 
We went back to our roots with custom, so we still did custom work. You're still in Newbury Street at the time? I'm still on Newbury Street, yeah. Needless to say, the rents are pretty high, if not the highest in the city at that point and now. Yes. So you you come to a point where you've got to make a decision. Do I stay? Do I stick it out? Do I continue? Or do I take another path? And you took the other path, which was what? Well, I, I had been there for 12 years, and it was a great experience. I loved every minute of it, but it was time for a change. My parents were getting older, and um, I decided maybe I should move closer to home. So um, downsized my business and uh, moved back to the suburbs. That's where you are today. That's where I am today. Yes, so I downsized. I got rid of a lot of equipment, you know, enough for me to do my custom work with. I just needed my one machine, my dad's machine. It traveled with me. Ah, the trusty (laughs) sewing machine. Yes, still have it. One work table and my sewing machine and all my equipment that I needed, and I I set up shop in my my new home. (laughs) It would be easy for you to uh, be really, really frustrated. I wouldn't blame you. You continued to do what you did. I do. My mom used to t- tell me that all the time because she always saw how hard I worked and say, why don't you just get a nine to five, nine to five, you know, and my dad was the entrepreneurial mind in my family. But she didn't understand, I guess, that I, I wasn't really built that way to, to work at a desk nine to five. And my career was design and the freedom that it gave me, even though I worked all those hours, it still gave me my independence and my freedom. And they say um, an entrepreneur works 80 hours a week, so he doesn't have to sit at a 40-hour-a-week job. <laughs> I know the feeling. And that's me. I know the so. feeling. Now, now, here's a question for you. As you, all these things are happening around you, and we talked about the various decades up to this point, are you always keeping your eye on trends and design trends and what the celebrities are wearing and how the magazines are playing out? I mean, it has to be part of your day anyway, I would imagine. I do to some extent. Um and like I said previously, it's like uh, my for me, my design skills were more technical than creative. So uh, when I met Antonio, he was a creative mind. When I met Francine, she was a creative mind. I always fell back on my technical skills because the creativeness um, as far as designing, coming up with those great designs, um, wasn't my strength. So. But we do need people to put the stuff together yes. appropriately. And, and that's what I excelled at and loved to do. And still do. And still, still do. do. Yeah. Did the business fall off or were you able to keep it going to a great extent with the move? Well, it did fall off a bit, um, you know, because I wasn't in the city anymore. So it wasn't as easy for clients to come to me. Um, it wasn't easily accessible living up in Andover. But I still continued with um, my alteration accounts that were in Boston, and I still continued with a small amount of clientele. You are a creative dynamo. You know that, don't you? (laughs) I keep trying. That's all (laughs) I can say. (laughs) Well, we're going to touch on more of that creativity and more of that brain power that's uh, always hard at work when we come back. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be with you. It's a delight to be here, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Decades of Design, a snapshot of my career journey. Find out more design details by reaching out to me on LinkedIn or view products from my retail store at andovercollection.com. Please subscribe and download and tell your friends. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. Remember, stay creative and design a great life.